Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Michelle Hastings is the business development, marketing, and project administrator for the Falcon Group, a full-service engineering, architecture, and energy firm in the Miami area. She is the past executive director of the Center for Work Education and Employment, and also spent 12 years in construction administration with HHCP Architects, as well as Walt Disney Imagineering, where she worked on construction administration for the design and building of Animal Kingdom. Nichelle and her husband, together, are also the co-owners of Omega Tactical, and Nichelle is the founder of Women Empowering Women in Development. In 2021, Nichelle was named Woman of the Year for her town and most powerful and influential Black professional in South Florida. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast, Nichelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on those recent awards. Wow. Woman of the Year and most powerful and influential Black professional. A lot of work. That just means a lot of work. A lot of work. (laughs) A lot of work leading up to it and then even more coming after it, right? (laughs) Absolutely. The higher you go, people just want to get next to you so they could ask your questions, pick your brains, and ultimately, then you start helping again. Yep. <laughs> it's a cycle. <laughs> yes, ma'am. It does feel good to give back, I'm sure. Yes, um, it does. It's so rewarding. Were those awards a surprise to you? Did you know they were coming? So, yeah, well, I guess sort of one was definitely a surprise. The other, I kind of thought, by the communication that I was receiving from the newspaper, asking me different questions, wanted to know what type of events I was going to, what type of events I was organizing. And I was like, well, why do they want to know that? So (laughs) I thought it was going to be an article, you know, that they were going to write something about me. And then I received a letter saying that I had been selected. And I was like, what? This is amazing. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Well, I would love to hear, you know, how you got up to this point. You said it's a lot of work to get there. So tell us a little bit about how you got there. What You started out studying business administration at Berkeley College in New York, right? Yes, yes, and yes. Are you a New Yorker? I'm a native New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <Awesome>. I am. <laughs> so you're from New York and you studied business administration. And then is that how you discovered the whole career of, con- of a construction administration? Well, so I started out, I was a science major. I was a science major and I was a dual enrollment student from John Dewey. I would attend Downstate Medical Center, State University Hospital. And I started, you know, taking classes there. And I thought that I wanted to go into medicine because that's what my grandfather wanted. Like he really wanted me to go into medicine. I don't know why. And one day I was inside the cafeteria at school and I remember my gym teacher, do they still use the word gym nowadays? My gym 
same teacher. I didn't say PE. <laughs> right. So she was inside the cafeteria and we just kind of got into this conversation and she's like, you know, in life, you should do things that challenge you, not the things that come easy. And I was like, do things that challenge me, not the things that come easy. So science and medicine, you see my heart, right? I'm a, I have a huge heart, right? That was like easy for me, caring for people. But business was not so much. Business was a challenge. Like I backed up from business, you know, because I was taught to, you know, serve and clean. I'm the oldest. First of all, let me just get this out there, right? So I'm the oldest of um, five yeah. brothers. Yes. <laughs> I'm the first grand, right? My mother broke the mold for this generation. I'm the first grand. I'm the oldest niece. I'm the oldest grand. So I had to do a lot, right? I had to do a lot. So serving is in my DNA, but business frightened me. Like you would see it on TV and, you know, the news and different things happening. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can like never do that. I'm supposed to be in the background. And after she said that one day there was a young lady, she was 28 years old. And she was fighting for her life from cancer. And after classes, I had gone back to her room and she had asked for a chocolate bar. She was just like, Michelle, I just want a chocolate bar. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring this chocolate bar back to her. Well, doing that, um, one of the head nurses saw me. She's like, hey, I thought you left. You know how that whole thing goes. And I'm like, no, I was just bringing the patient this chocolate bar. And she reamed me like, if you're going to be in this industry, if you're going to do this, you got to know when to detach. And I mean, she just went like so opposite of what I expected. And it was a couple of weeks after that, that I I told my grandfather, my granddad, I don't want to do this. I can't. I love it. But I'm supposed to do something different. I'm supposed to impact the world in a different way. And so he called me Beatball. And he's like, well, Beatball, what do you think you're supposed to do? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be in business. I'm supposed to change the world in business. Uh-huh. And he was like, in business? And <laughs> you just right, you just have to kind of know back then, Emily, and you have to kind of know the demographics of the culture, right? It was like, we're good at doing things and, and making people happy, but no one really had an insight on how to lead. And so when I said this, this was very foreign, not just to them, but to me. And I transferred and Berkeley welcomed me. And I learned a lot being in the city, like being in Manhattan. It was like hands on training. You get my education during the day and then after school. Honey, I took the city by storm and the storm gave me the perfect climate to do it in. <laughs> and so what kind of business were you studying? Was it any specific type or was you say, you, you know, you were doing this other, you were learning about business in other ways through just through being in the city. Were you working in jobs? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so as a, it was my internship. Right. So I did my internship with GR Production and Teddy Riley, who was working on a project for Michael Jackson. So that was very, very different. I was in a whole different world with people with a lot of zeros behind their names. And it was just intriguing. So I I had a chance to see how business ran, right? From time management to uh, fund development, different things that they had to do just to get a a song out, right? So we see them making a video, because I'm bad, you, you have no idea all the steps that it takes to make I'm bad happen. 
right? All the people that you have to be accountable to, all the time restraints, crunching numbers, working numbers, revamping numbers, you know, staying up late, working on, it was just amazing. It was amazing. So that was like a part of my world. And then confidentiality. I learned so much about business there as an intern for them. But the other part of that is I was blessed to have a part-time job with Antonovich Furs. And um, Antonovich Furs, like fur coats? Yes, the Antonovich Furs. Ah, Antonovich, yes. (laughs) So I, tell you, I can tell you're a singer. We've gotten three songs so far. <laughs> so with that, what I'm saying is that when you know what you're supposed to do, a lot of people like to say the universe. I say the spirit, you know, my spirit within. It leads you to that when you're ready for it. So at Antonovich, I learned discipline. I learned about accuracy, double checking myself. I learned to you know, cross those T's and dot those I's. You learn to see and not see, right? So I saw very many famous people. I had information on very many famous people, but it was not for me to take in as like, oh, look what I got. It was to take in to, you know, say thank you. And then when I would see them walking in the streets, oh, I didn't tell you, it was on Madison Avenue. So I saw them. I don't just service them and work with them. Now I got a chance to accidentally run into them outside of work and events, how to carry myself. So leadership met me in my hands-on experiences during school. It was definitely the right move for me to make. So interesting. And how did all of that convert into construction? How did construction, I guess the music industry is very male dominated. So this wasn't, and business in general is. So I guess it's, it's not such a strange transition to get into, you know, another male, male populated field, but how did that happen? So strangely enough, I learned to do a lot. I learned to take charge and I learned that leadership should never be bashful. When you have the goods, you have to utilize the goods or else the goods will go away, just like your muscles. Muscles has memory. So if you don't use them, you know, we gain weight because our muscles are like, you're not using me. So I'm just going to sit right here and put some pounds on you. Right. Mm -hmm. So I became like a beacon in my community. I became a beacon in my community. And it was at Antonovich that I met my mentor, Susan Taylor of Essence Magazine, which opened up a huge, huge, huge world to me. Not for me, but to me. Sometimes we think that something is for us. It is just supposed to be there to see what we'll do with it, right? Opportunity is just that. It's just a word until you pick it up and you start using it. And so when that happened, I became like popular. I don't know. It was just this crazy popularity. So I was a tomboy (laughs) my entire life, right? With my five brothers, always a six man on getting punched and pulled and two hand touch and, you know, soccer and baseball, all those different things. And then on the other side of that, I was blossoming into this young leader, and everyone in the community, I don't know, my grandmother would say, oh, ask, she called me Shelly. Ask Shelly, she knows. Ask Shelly, she knows someone. She knows the people that can make things happen. And so I didn't marry early like a lot of my friends because now I had this world, right? So Emily, I am Pentecostal. And for a girl to be in her 20s, 25, 26, and not married, Pentecostal 
Christian girl, you know, now the mothers, quote unquote, of the church were like, what's wrong with her? You know, it's like, oh, she's got all those high standards. She's never going to get a husband. So, you know, my grandmother's like, baby, don't you want to be married? And I'm like, well, I do. But look at all this wonderful things that's happening. Look at how I'm able to help the family. Look at how I'm able to influence my aunties and various ones to, you know, go back to school and to do better. And, you know, I had purchasing power. Right. I had an American Express card. You know, I had a Lincoln Town Card account. You know, it was just a lot was happening. And then I had my church world. And I bring that in because at one point, I think my grandmother just wanted to say, you know, like the ladies in the church, oh, my baby's getting married. And she was just like, are you not interested? And this one man from, you know, affiliated church, he was just like, you know, kind of speaking to me a little bit and, you know, saying, oh, I realize that you're different, you know, but you're really special. And we became like a little bit of friends. I don't really know if we were friends. We just knew each other, right? We were in the church circle. And so, and don't laugh, like, so one day he asked me to go out to eat and I was like, okay. And he left the table for a long time. I had no idea where this dude went, but I'm a people watcher. So I was like, okay. And he came back what he was doing now, of course, now I know he was telling people in the restaurant, hey, I'm going to ask this lady to marry me. And he was getting an audience. Was this the first time he went out with him? He was getting an audience. Was this your, was this your first time being, going out with him? Like, it was like the first time one-on-one. So back Uh in Brooklyn, right? Back in Brooklyn, when you went out, like you kind of went out with everybody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we would go to yeah. juniors. It was all of us, you know, it's like when we were singing the choir, we went out together, like everybody. Yeah. But this was like, okay, we're going to go out. That's fine. And he gets on one knee, right? I want to talk about being naive to the world, right? Had all these wonderful things going on, but he gets on this one knee And he's like, you are incredible. You're smart. You're talented. You're funny. You know, you're going to make something of yourself. And I'd like to know if you would be my wife. And he pulls out this ring. (laughs) I get chills thinking about it now. (laughs) And I looked at him and I'm like looking at these people. And of course, I'm like, okay, yes. You know, and I hugged him, Connor. It was the craziest thing. So we sat for a few minutes. Everybody was congratulating us. And I said to him, I said, dude, I got to get to choir rehearsal. Like, I can't be late. (laughs) (laughs) I know I just, I know we just got engaged, but I got to (laughs) go. I got to get to choir rehearsal. So he's like, okay, I'll ride the train with you. And I was like, okay, you know, this is what we do. I'm going to tell you how I got involved in all of this. I was directing the choir and uh, we had to stop because we needed to, you know, go over a couple of spots again. And he says, excuse me, I'd like to say something. And so he's like, I think Nichelle is being a little bashful right now. She has some good news to share. And I started looking at him like, what good news do I have to share? And please don't do this right now. Like, I'm just looking at him like, please don't do this right now. And so everybody's like, oh, what is it? You know how people are. We're curious. So he's like, Michelle and I just got engaged. And (laughs) oh, my gosh, I can see their face looking at me. They're like, what? She's (laughs) like, 
<laughs> so he comes up and he goes, show them the ring. So I was like, it's in my coat. It's in my, it's in my, oh my coat. God. Why weren't you wearing the ring? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, because no. I didn't Sorry, even buddy. know what I was saying. Yes. I was like, yeah. I got to figure this out. So anyway, I show everybody the ring and they're like looking at me like they had, you know, dibs on when I would get married, you know, like we would go first. (laughs) And so they were like, when did you get a boyfriend? And I'm like, well, you know, I guess that's what he was. Like I'm literally (laughs) having this conversation out loud and he's looking at me and I'm going, okay, this is a person. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Listen to me carefully. I want to interject. If ever you're involved in anything in your life and it is not right, don't go along with it. It's not Hallmark. This is not Hallmark. This is real life. And so, you know, I went along with it. That was mistake number one. Uh Mistake number one. Wait, Uh, so this is not your husband. This is not the guy you married. No, no. So we, well, I did marry him, right? And I lived a life from three weeks after the marriage until five years of abuse. Oh no. Because he said I was too happy. I was too proud. I was too joyous. You know, I thought the world was mine from three weeks into the marriage, three weeks into my marriage was the worst time of my life ever. So did and that, I mean, did that really, was, did that affect you as far as your ability to pursue your career? Was that like, did that stop you in your career? So one of my friends, her husband was a federal marshal and she kept saying to him, you know, Michelle just seems so different. And he, he was like, well, what is it? And so the more she talked about it, he was like, Michelle was probably being beaten. And she's like, oh no, not her. You know, no, no, anybody else but her. And so she came out and she asked me, she says, she called me sis. She says, what's going on? And I began to tremble and I told her, I said, you would never believe what happens to me when I go home. She's like, oh my gosh. And so her husband passed away and she had a family vacation that he had purchased. And she said to me, he would want you to come with me. He would want you to come with me. And so I was like, no, he's never going to let me go. Anyway, she called him up. She called up my then husband and she says, I know what you're doing to her. And if you don't let her come with me on this vacation, I'm going to tell everybody, everybody at church, everybody at your job. I'm going to tell everybody. So he agreed and came to Florida. And while I was here in Florida, I learned that Florida was the only state at the time to have no tolerance for domestic battery. And so I asked a couple of people, you know, that I met when I was here, is there anything that you think, you know, I could do work-wise? I just really need to get away from this situation. Life works well when you work with it. I met the prosecutor and the assistant DA, and we were talking, and they said, you are more than welcome to come and work with us. So I went back to Brooklyn. Three weeks later, I was moving to the state of Florida. Bing, mistake number two. 
I brought him with me. So when I told him I was leaving, he was just like, oh, the city has me pressured. You know, I'm so sorry. All these different things. I had never even driven a car like long distance. So within that three weeks, I got this little um, Reliant K, Plymouth Reliant K, I will never forget. And had a tune up and all these things and started driving on the highway. Never, ever driven on the highway before. He wouldn't even let me go to sleep. He was pulling my hair. He was throwing rocks at the car when I would try to pull over to, you know, catch a nap or anything. He was like, if we're going to Florida, we better get to Florida and get to Florida fast. It was a complete disaster. But because I work for prosecutors, they were like, what is happening? You're not the woman that we met, that we interviewed and that we hired. And so... This gentleman that I was married to came to my work and he literally showed out and he was like, she's not who you think she is. You brought her down here. You know, she doesn't care about home. She pretends. And it was just a disaster. So they said to me, as much as we hate to do this, we're going to have to let you go because this is not safe. Having him come here. Yeah, it's not safe. And so he just, you know, started telling people, oh, I have nowhere to go now because she came down here, Miss Big Shot from New York. And just it was horrible, horrible, horrible. He emptied my bank account. It was just terrible, terrible, terrible. It was terrible. So I thought I was having anxiety and they took me to Sand Lake Hospital. I'm saying this because some people might think when they hear this, oh, this sounds so funny. This is fake. No, this is verifiable. My neighbor, I knew no one. My grandmother had said, if you stay in that situation, if you make your bed hard, you lay in it. Like I didn't know where to turn because I wasn't used to this. So they took me to Sand Lake Hospital and they were treating me for anxiety. They're like, okay, you know, you're going to be okay. I'm saying this because this is verifiable. Don't stay in situations where your life is at stake. I can never say that enough. So the last thing happened, this nurse came in and she said, we're going to release you. We're going to, you know, send you home. We can't seem to find anything that's wrong with you. You just, you know, got a lot of stresses. You're new here. You don't know anyone. You know, you said that your husband is mean to you. You know, we're just going to give you some resources. She says, but before we go, I want to do one test. She goes, I want to do one more test. I need you to hear me. I need your audience to hear me. Emily, I need you to listen closely. She said, we want to do one more test. And I said, sure. And so about two hours later, she came back and she asked me, she goes, is your breast or is your chest sore? And and I said, yes, it's, you know, we've been moving. I probably bumped against the wall or something. She goes, no, it's natural. I said, natural for what? She goes, you're going to be a mommy. Oh my God. (laughs) They had to close the emergency room doors. I started screaming and crying uncontrollably. I'm like, that can never happen. And she came in there and she closed the door and she said, what is it? And I told her. And she says, well, now you have to find a way to live and get out of this for this little person that you will carry. And so she told me a story. It was that day that changed my life. And without having a place to go, without having work or anything like that, I started watching the television and I saw that there was a company that was hiring for a construction administrator. 
And I went in, I put on a girdle and I got the position. And that started my history and my tenure in the construction contract administration world with a lot of hands-on experience from a lot of key engineers, estimators, men in the industry, different tradesmen. They learned my story and they became my protectors. So that's just how I got started. That is a crazy story. Oh my goodness. So it re- I mean, it was really podcast. just, it was really, yeah, <laughs> it was really just, you know, your life path that led you into it. And you just found it in a newspaper ad. Okay. I want to hear about, so I know you got into construction that way and then, but you really rose up quickly. Like you got into construction, but then all of a sudden you're like working with, and maybe I'm not characterizing this correctly and feel free to tell me the story, but you've worked with Paul Newman and general Norman Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I got to hear these stories. Like how did did that happen? No. So the general Schwarzkopf, the late and great, and Paul Newman, they built a camp called Boggy Creek Gang Camp. And it's a hole-in-the-wall gang camp for children that suffer with cancer and different um, life-altering diseases. And because it was kind of high-class, high-profile, you know, fun development, a lot of those things. I went on an interview and I had so much business savviness about me. They were like, she's going to be perfect. She's going to, you know, work twofold. She could be out in the field and she can also, you know, take clients to dinner and entertain them and talk to them until we arrive. So it was just really unique turnkey, if you will. For that, can I just tell you, I got an award from the Moran Family Foundation two years ago, and I worked with Jim Moran and his wife on the Boggy Creeking project. How funny is that? But when you worked with, you said you were working with the Paul Newman, was that for a building? What was that for? The Boggy Creek Gang Camp, a hole-in-the-wall gang camp for children with special needs and life-changing, altering diseases. Oh, oh, oh okay. So I understand. So you were actually doing the design for the actual buildings at the camp. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Working oh, in the okay. construction administration I... process. Yes. <laughs> okay. Got it. Yeah. So, and then it turns out that, tell me about the award again. So one of the funders, one of the stakeholders was Mr. Moran. And two years ago, I received an award from the Jim Moran Foundation. So as an excellence in business and community engagement. And it was the same camp? The same camp connection. Yes, ma'am. See? Yeah, that's so interesting. So you feel like you were meant to be there, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My life is definitely a life that is paved out. And I cannot tell anyone. I don't even allow anyone to convince me. They go, oh, my gosh, it's just coincidence. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm curious about the business that you have a new husband. Yes. Um, that you, the two of you together own a business. It's called Omega Tactical. Can you tell us what you do at that business? So, yes, I do have a new husband. I married my neighbor because I never thought I would marry again, but I married my neighbor and we've been married now 16 years. And the past five years, we have operated Omega Tactical, which is a military defense firearm weaponry restoration business where we have products 
for hospitals, we do coatings and plating for hospitals, finishes for like SpaceX, the Canada Arm, talk about Walt Disney Imagineering. We do some of the nuts and bolts for the rides for Walt Disney World. So again, my life is tied even through marriage. It's still tied back to the path that I was traveling. Is that a Florida thing? Like, because you're in Florida, everything touches on Disney? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's the cheese, Emily. It's the cheese. It's the mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So you've been doing that. So you do like government contracting and different, and then also obviously private companies. Yes, with private, private, like for different sheriff outfits, some DEA, you know, high profile government needs, Naval, Lockheed Martin. You know, we're blessed to be turnkey. My husband is a brainiac. I'm the creative one. He's the very tactical one. So I do all the marketing and business development for that. It's nice to have a partner like that. It makes a big difference in your life. Okay. Now, Women Empowering Women in Development is your organization. You founded this organization, right? I founded it with four other women, four incredible women. Tell us about it. Who are the other women and how did this organization come about and what is your mission? So our mission is to coach, mentor, and development women to reach their full potential using resources, talent, testimonials. It's a daily affirmation of everything that is inside of you is what you need to get you to the place that you need to be and desire to be in life. I know that that's wordy, but when you put it in layman's term, it literally is, let's pull you out of where you are to get your potential from stagnant to action. And we started this in 2019. Well, late 2018, just kind of thought, you know, talking about it a little bit. But when the pandemic hit, women were a little bit at a disadvantage. They were lost. A um, lot of a disadvantage, I would say. Yes. And we had to still be, you know, moms and wives and still do our work and teachers, all these different things. And I'm not discounting what the men had to go through. I can only speak about the women. And so we decided... We have each other, right? So we call each other the sisterhood, right? We are the sisterhood. And we had each other to pivot and to lean on. And we realized there were a lot of women that we didn't see in action anymore. There were a lot of women who, if they didn't have that happy hour or that tangible touch, they seemed to be MIA. And we thought, what can we do to lift these women back to their feet? What can we do to give them tools and nuggets and minerals and nutrients to help them get back on track? And then how then can we use those same things for us, right? To show up for work. One of the women that we had worked with, she told me that she hadn't washed her hair in over four months. She was like, Michelle, I'm just overwhelmed. I get up, the kids see, and this was a thing. We didn't realize how much getting to work gave us an outlet. And, and I don't mean to be cruel, but this is true. So many women was like, okay, let me get my kid to school and then I'll go and do what I have to do. But what happens when you have no school to get them to? You are the school. 
You don't have that coffee break. You don't have that Starbucks run. You don't have that time in the car to put your makeup on. Like you are on 24 hours a day. You don't get a break. And so I literally have one of the female attorneys that we were doing this litigation case with. And I'm like, well, if you take a shower, why are you washing your hair? She's like, I don't have time. You don't have time? She's like, Nichelle, if I wash my hair, then I got to dry my hair. Like she went into a long story and I heard so much more. I heard so much more than I don't have time to wash my hair. And so WEW, Women Empowering Women in Development, with only having a small space of five to 10 that we could gather with, we started reaching out on a pivot, on occasion, on a different routines, different women, 10 at a time, five at a time. So we would have five people in person and we would go on to webinars and we would bring educators and we would bring mental health specialists and we would just do this every other week. We were coming up with things. We abandoned all of those happy hours. We didn't want you to drink on Zoom. We wanted to talk to you. We wanted to get you talking. We wanted to be a resource. We wanted to be a tool. We wanted to be a hope. We wanted to be an anchor for the women in our industry. Now we're not just fighting for fair wages and different things. We're fighting for our sanity. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how women empowering women really became a staple in the industry because we just started doing this and we started rising. We started lifting. Emily, we became visible and we realized it wasn't just women that needed our help. It was CEOs that were telling the ladies in their office, no, you need to connect. You need to do this. You need to do this. These women are onto something, but we weren't on by ourselves. We have a resident mental health specialist who's also an engineer. She's an environmental engineer, Georgia Bryce. Georgia used all of her knowledge all of her training at no cost to be there with us. Every time we mounted a platform, Georgia was there. Now she's married. (laughs) (laughs) She's busy. (laughs) No, that's great. That's great. So, and then, so I know that you have discussed like the pandemic and I know that that is some stuff that we've learned during the pandemic. What do you think things have changed since the pandemic has lifted a bit? So things started changing but it seems like they've gone back to where they were. People were, you know, really grateful and kind and generous and helping and long-suffering. You know, they abandoned a lot of the self-serving attitudes when it seemed like nobody had a cure or an estimated time of, you know, newness. And now it seems like we didn't get to the, we got like the C-H-A, but the N-G-E-D was still kind of hanging out there. So we didn't change really, Emily, if I could say that. We started to, but change means that we evolve and we don't go back to what was. And a lot of behaviors, if you will, has like that figure eight a little bit. It's going backwards. So there's so much more work to be done. What's on the horizon for women empowering women in development? What's next? So again, I'm so glad you asked me the right question. I hope you will take part in this as well. But January 17th, 2022, 
Women Empowering Women, a collaborative partnership with Girl, What Do You Bring to the Table? And Living in Gratitude Today, we will hold our first ever Rise with Perspective, Living in Gratitude Today 2022, where we will forget everything that's been behind us, all the errors and omissions, and we will edit in change in our life. We will stop looking at resolutions and lamenting over the things that we didn't do and connect with different people, professionals, powerhouses that can help us gain those nuggets and those nutrients that we need to make it through the year. What we're doing, Emily, and we welcome you, please, we would love to have you here. We're bringing the tangibles to our forefront. We are not going to go to some big motivational junkie conference and then can't figure out what to do after the conference, right? We're going to have professionals that you can reach out to on a monthly basis to help you stay on track. There will be no falling off the wagon in 2022. One of the things, and I talked about Georgia Bryce, Georgia sent an email and she said, do you know how important the 17th day of January is not only is it because it's Dr. Martin Luther King's day of, of commemoration and the day of service, but we're putting the mask on ourselves. We're serving ourselves first so that we can help others. We're putting the mask on ourselves so we can get oxygen and so that we can breathe. And then when we exhale, we're going to give life to someone else, right? We're going to give life to someone else. This is a day that those that say, oh, it's a three-day holiday, a three-day weekend. I just want to hang out and sleep. Well, this is not for you. But those that want to take this day to learn and to hear from experts how they have made it through these past two and a half years and how they plan to make it through day by day. The 17th, I have learned that if you have not acted upon any resolution within those first 17 days, the likelihood of you completing it slim to none. The 17th is that transitional day. I did not know that. So this day of service, we are coming together to rise with perspective. We're putting in place everything that we need to have gratitude on a daily basis. And if you wake up in a spirit of gratitude every single day, you will make it through 2022 and you're going to come out bigger, better, stronger, wiser than you ever imagined. The 17th is the perfect day for that amazing event. Well, Nichelle Hastings, Woman of the Year and most powerful and influential Black professional in South Florida, you have certainly found success in making a name for yourself, not just in male-populated engineering and architectural world, but really in the world at large. So thank you so much for joining us today to share your journey. Thank you so much for having me to learn about my journey. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.